Welcome to the Bridgeway Church Podcast. My name is David Bowden, and every week I sit down with one or several members of our church staff and host a conversation about how Bridgeway is seeking to fulfill its mission as the Church of Jesus Christ here in our city. If you are a member of Bridgeway, we hope this helps you more deeply engage with what God is doing in our midst. And if you aren't a part of Bridgeway, we hope you feel welcome and that our discussions may lead to more Christ-glorifying ministry in your own context. Let's jump in. All right. Well, I've got our uh, lead pastor, Sam Storms, here with me today in the studio. It's been a bit since you've been in, Sam. I'm glad that you're here. Yeah, glad to be back. Yeah, and uh, we are going to be starting a uh, new kind of sporadic mini-series over the next several months because we'll have other pastors and staff in in between, but uh, we're going to talk about ecclesiology, which is what? (laughs) (laughs) The doctrine of the church. The doctrine of the church, ecclesiology. There we go. And what's the the, the root of that word? Is uh, the Greek word ekklesia. Right. Which, uh, of course, everybody disputes what it means. Yeah. <laughs> Some say it means called out ones because it's comprised of the preposition ek and uh, the verb kaleo. But it's dangerous to, to determine meaning based on yes. uh, etymology. Most believe it uh, has the idea primarily of assembly. Mm-hmm. So A gathered group yep. of people? Yep. Okay. Yep. Awesome. So we're going to be talking about that, the 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 doctrine of the church, and uh, I guess at the the top of any discussion about the church, we have to kind of ask a very foundational question, which is strange that it's foundational, um, <laughs> because but but it's just kind of the way it is in our culture right now. Is uh, why do we need the church at all? Um, why why is this something that we need? Because I would say that a lot of people, a lot of people my age, and even not my age, you know, I I grew up. Uh, even reading people in college who were far older than I was talking about this idea of the privatization mm-hmm. of Christianity, that um, it's me and Jesus, and that's all I need. I could just grab my Bible and go to Starbucks, and that's my church, and that's all I need, and all this other stuff with the buildings and the sermons and the uh, the rigmarole of structure and governance is just getting in the way of my personal relationship with God. Mm-hmm. So what would you say to the individual uh, who is is thinking about like oh my my relationship with God can just be private and that's fine. All right, you asked. <laughs> I did. Uh, in fact, I will just kind of let our listeners know you had asked me at the beginning where do we start? Do we want to start with the cultural phenomenon right. today, or or do we want to move into maybe the more biblical and deeper aspects as as kind of the conclusion? But there's no way that I can answer that question without drawing attention to something that I think is foundational. In other words, what I'm saying is, I think we need to kind of dig below the surface of that question Mm. and not just try to answer it kind of phenomenologically, like giving all sorts of empirical data as to why this is, you know, a a, a common mentality. Right. But to ask the question, why would the question ever be raised in the first place? Mm. Yes. I mean, seriously, why would um, a Christian... Um, even entertain the legitimacy of the question. Now, mm. granted, people are asking the question. I'm not denying that, not suggesting that isn't the case. But I'm 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 I want to probe deeper and say, well, why? Mm. Um, because obviously, we're of two different generations, um, and I'm significantly older than you are, <laughs> probably older than most of our listeners. And uh, just in terms of how I was raised, I was raised in a 
obviously Southern Baptist denomination, attended mm. Southern Baptist churches first 20, 21, 22 years of my life, uh, been in and out of denominational churches. Um, and um, to me, the it's like, no, why would somebody who believes the Bible to be inspired and authoritative ever wonder or even allow themselves to walk down a path that would question not just the legitimacy of the church, the local church, but the absolute necessity of it for Christian mm-hmm. living. So I think, and again, we can circle back around this toward the end, but to me, the question of the functional authority of Scripture comes right back to bear on this. Mm. Uh, and I'll just give you kind of an anecdotal example. There was a gentleman that um, here in Oklahoma City that I was talking with at one point who basically um, had turned his back on the local church turned his back on any kind of, and we put this in either quotes or italics, organization or institutional right. dimensions of the church, whether whether that involved, um, you know, as you mentioned, governance by ordained leaders or anything of that sort. And, um, you know, just to try to press right through the fog with him, I said, now, let me ask you a question. To what extent, to what degree are you committed to ordering your life and your beliefs and your behavior in accordance with what the Bible teaches. Mm-hmm. And he paused for a moment. He says, well, not much. Hmm. And he was just very, very honest. The bottom line was um, he kind of had the, the, the sense that um, God and his purposes in the present day have moved beyond uh, the boundaries and the framework set forth in the New Testament, that the 21st century isn't the first century, and therefore we shouldn't be, in a sense, um, uh, tethered to the way that Christians lived out their relationship with Jesus in the first century, mm. that there are new dimensions, new needs, and we've seen so much failure in the way it had been done for 20 centuries mm. that we are not bound by what the Bible says. And so that immediately is going to make it very difficult to even dialogue on the issue because yeah. if we're appealing to different authorities, if you're, if you're going to say, well, my answer to that question is going to be based on what I discern in the prevailing culture, what I discern uh, to be the expressed needs of people, or what I discern to be the offenses and the wounds that they have incurred by living in local church life, if that's going to be... Uh, the kind of the decisive factor or the authority by which you make you answer the question, it's going to be altogether different from someone who's going to say, well, notwithstanding the mistakes, notwithstanding the errors, the hypocrisy, and everything else in, in so-called organized Christianity, I still believe that the Bible functions authoritatively, and mm-hmm. God has given us a blueprint for how we're to live our lives in community, and it calls for the existence of a local church with certain features that are essential to it. Right. Oh man. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, so you're saying basically that, um, the, so let me, let me ask it, I guess, back to you in a question. So do you think the main reason then why this, this phenomenological, um, privatization of Christianity has taken place is because of institutional abuses or is that a scapegoat or like, Oh, I think it's a little bit, of, a little bit of everything. Um, I think I think just in the culture as a whole, um, there is suspicion of what we might call accountability mm-hmm, because yeah. it feels heavy. It feels 
uh, binding. It feels like, well, how can I be accountable to you or you hold me accountable to a certain spiritual authority because won't that stifle uh, individualism and self-expression mm. and me coming to understand the authentic self that I am. And the only way I can do that is by launching out on my own and gazing on my belly button and mm-hmm. becoming very introspective or even not introspective, maybe very much of an activist. And I'm going to find myself by going out and serving and helping people in whatever way I choose, but I don't need the so-called local church to do that. So certainly there are cultural dimensions to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that at least the people I talk to uh, who have turned their back on local church life and just don't think it's necessary for Christian growth uh, will usually cite um, institutional abuses right. and, and uh, financial mismanagement, mm-hmm. sexual scandals, and uh, legalism, yep. and um, uh, judgmentalism, or they'll say, you know, I, I watched a good friend of mine or a family member uh, get trampled upon um, um, under the name of discipline because right. they weren't living the kind of life that everybody expected to, or they didn't dress the way the people there uh, thought Christians ought to dress on a Sunday, <laughs> or uh, all sorts of reasons. I mean, we, we here we are talking in, what, 21st century, obviously, and uh, we've just witnessed in, uh, in here at the end uh, of the summer of uh, 2000. What is your 18? 18. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Wow. Time flies. Um, multiple scandals. Yes. I mean, we've, uh, I don't know when this is going to air, right. but everybody who hears this will be aware of the fact that this, uh, this sexual abuse scandal in Pennsylvania in the Roman mm-hmm. Catholic Church, a thousand kids, 300 priests, and the cover up, or the scandals that have hit a number of evangelical Protestant churches. I'm not mm-hmm. just picking on Catholics. Um, and these sorts of things just turn sour in the human soul. They just say, yeah. my goodness, this seems so far removed from what I see of Jesus in the Gospels. Mm. And I think that has a major, a major contrib- is a major contributing factor to the why- reason why people are, are, as you say, embracing this privatization mm-hmm. of uh, it's just me and Jesus. And then here's the ironic thing. Mm. Um, <laughs> perhaps the, the number one... Um, criticism of so-called American fundamentalism hmm. is that it's all about me and Jesus. It's just me and getting my sins forgiven and oh, my I relationship see. with the Lord. Right. And that's one of the criticisms directed <laughs> at American fundamentalism. And yeah. yet it's also a factor in the, in the considerations of those who have turned their back on the local church. Like mm. I don't need other people. I don't need the church. I don't need a building. I don't need a pew to sit in in order to experience genuine spiritual connection with God. Yeah. Okay. And so to to all of these issues then, are you saying the fundamental answer then to them is the functional authority of Scripture, that the reason why you shouldn't view this, the church as a scapegoat, the reason why you should see the necessity of being involved in the local church mm-hmm. is because the Bible says so? Well, yeah, that sounds a little simple. I know. (laughs) The Bible says so, therefore (laughs) shut up and go do it. (laughs) That's not what we're saying. Um, Certainly we have to take into consideration that as a, a, if not the primary consideration. Um, But the fact of the matter is um, 21 centuries have now come and gone and um, the one thing that I that I think all of us would have to admit is human nature hasn't changed. Yeah. Uh, the same reasons why God deemed it wise 
to call his people into local fellowships of mutual accountability and encouragement. It's because of the nature of the human heart, Mm. our proneness to isolation, our proneness to self-justification, our proneness to wander, our proneness to give in to lusts, our proneness to discouragement and depression. None of that has changed. And it might take different forms of expression, but it's still there. And so when I read, and I'm just looking, for example, at Hebrews chapter 3, where the author of Hebrews says um, in verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Well, that problem hasn't disappeared. If anything, it's intensified. And the author is saying there, look, you got to be careful. The, you know, you don't don't presume that you are invulnerable to attack and mm. to yielding to temptation. And he says, exhort one another every day. In other words, we have a God's giving us a, a, a command uh, to take responsibility, not just for our own souls, but for the souls of others as well. Now, unfortunately, as you know, and this is what started our conversation, there are some who would take a passage like that and say, oh. Okay, I'm going to stick my nose into every area of your life, and you're going to start living mm-hmm. like I do, and you can't go to those movies, and you can't um, participate in these activities, and you can't hang out with those folks. Right. Uh, that's not what the text is talking mm-hmm. about. Um, we're not talking about legalism. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about a loving concern for one another in the body of Christ, and that hasn't changed. So, so but coming back to your question, yeah. um, I do believe in the functional authority of Scripture. And I do believe that the nature of the local church and all of its quote-unquote institutional elements that are talked about in the New Testament uh, were put there by God because of his infinite wisdom in his determination of how best the kingdom of God can flourish in the earth mm. and the people of God can grow up in Christ and bear witness to the to the glorious truth of the gospel. God had a plan in place, and it's communicated to us through Scripture. And I, for one, happen to believe that my conscience is bound by that Scripture. Right. Now, do we have to go through the difficult process of interpretation and contextualization and application? You bet. Yeah. But in the final analysis, we're still left with a consistent, I mean, there aren't exceptions in the New Testament, a consistent witness to the nature and the function, the absolute necessity of the local church. Right. Okay, so there, there, there's going to be these people then of another group, or maybe some of our listeners um, that, are, that are saying like, Right. I totally agree. Um, we can't ignore the biblical commands of all the one anothering things that, mm-hmm. that the, the Bible would have us do, that we need one another to, to grow the kingdom, to um, support uh, each other in our fight against sin and holiness and encouragement, that it's a, it's a body of Christ, not just individual members, you know, just diasporately around the, the world. But I've got my friend group and I've got my small group and I have people who come and meet at my at my house, you know, and we do community and we do quote unquote church that way. We don't need 
um, you know, all these other things that the the Catholic Church would say we need, or the you know the fundamentalists say we need, or the evangelicals say we need, sure. or the Eastern Orthodoxists say we need. We just we live we live out the life of Jesus sure. in community with with this small yeah. group of people. Is that a church? What would you say well, to them? Yeah, it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want anybody to hear me say that you have to have a building in order to have a church. Right. Yeah. Um, I hate sitting in pews. Yeah. We don't yeah. have them here. No. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, you don't have to have a pew. You don't have to pass a plate. Uh, you don't have to wear a clerical collar. You don't have to go to seminary. Right. Um, so certainly there, I mean, there have, there are even as we are sitting here in the comforts of, of a studio in Western, in the Western world, there are millions of our brothers and sisters in Christ who gather together in caves That's right. or in forests or someplace in hidden ways that you would never walk by and point at something and say, oh, oh look, a church is meeting. Right. Um, so we, we have to reduce it down to what are the essentials? Yes. What constitutes a church? So, for example, if someone posed the question to me that you just did, mm-hmm. and they said, for example, well, uh, we have about a dozen people and we meet every Sunday morning or let's say this, let's, we meet every Thursday morning or sure. every Saturday morning at Starbucks, um, and um, we read the Bible together, and we pray for one another, and we ask how everybody's doing, and somebody will oftentimes you know, teach from, to, from Scripture and, 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 and apply it to our lives, and um, you know, it'd be difficult, I guess, to, have a, to sing and worship in a Starbucks. I don't know if they would appreciate <laughs> Sing along that. to the jazz music. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Uh, whatever's on the... Uh, the overhead speakers. Yeah, the yeah. overhead speakers. Um, and so they say, I- isn't that enough? And I say, well, not quite, mm. because in every single instance that I read in the New Testament about the reality of a local church, there is designated spirit-raised-up leadership. Okay. Now, I was going to say plurality of elders, because right. that's my conviction. <laughs> right. I don't find any New Testament church that lacks a plurality of elders, but... Let's just let's be gracious here, right? And uh, let's say, for example, that you know it's, it's Anglican or it's um, a Southern Baptist or it's some other form of church governance. But mm-hmm. the point is, God calls His people to submit themselves to the oversight of shepherds, what we might call under shepherds. Jesus being the chief shepherd, mm-hmm. whether you call them uh, bishops or elders or pastors or whatever it might be. There has to be, in my opinion, a duly constituted, recognized leadership who are accountable uh, to love, care for, encourage, exhort those who gather with him. So that's one thing that has to be present. Secondly, I think there has to be the centrality of the Word of God, the public reading of Scripture, the the teaching, the application of God's Word in, in the lives of God's people. I think there also has to be a mechanism for discipline. I know people don't like to hear that word, but uh, it's very clear that um, New Testament repeatedly talks about how to deal with those who are persistent in unrepentant sin. Mm. Um, And then I think also there has to be uh, the celebration of the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper for us who are uh, Protestant evangelicals. Um, And so I would... You know, I, I know a lot of people who would gather in a house instead of maybe at Starbucks, mm-hmm. and I would say, do you have these elements consistently present in such a way that all there acknowledge them, acknowledge their the, how essential they are, and do you do this on a on a, on a regular basis? Now, again, I don't think you have to meet on Sunday to be a church. 
Um, there's plenty of Christians around the world who can't meet on Sundays. Right, yeah. Um, and that doesn't matter, morning, afternoon, or night. Facility doesn't matter. Meet on a mountaintop or in a valley or in a building, a plush, you know, luxurious uh, facility. It doesn't really matter. Um, it doesn't matter what kind of order of service you have. Mm-hmm. Um, it just matters that the essential elements of the gospel are being consistently proclaimed. Yeah. The word of God is being unpacked and applied. Um, and as I said, uh, discipline, sacraments, and, you know, we might add other things like evangelism. Right. You know, are, are you in, so inbred and ingrown that you don't reach out and seek to share the gospel with others? So there are there are other characteristics of local church life that are important. The question is, are they essential? Mm. Um, so could there be a local church that is just really ingrown and they're just in case, for whatever reason, they just simply don't reach out in mission and evangelism? Yeah, there are a lot of churches like that. Right. But the fact that they fail in that area doesn't mean they're not a church. Mm-hmm. It means they're not a a uh, healthy right. church. They're yeah. not a they're not a robust church in the way that the New Testament would conceive of it. So I think in answering your question, we have to be able to identify, I think from Scripture, what are the non-negotiables? What are the, yeah. what are the things that we see consistently present in every church that is described in the New Testament? All right, and there they are. Um, shepherds, some kind of oversight, or as we are convinced of here, plurality of elders, uh, the proclamation of the Word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um Discipline, mm-hmm. uh, like is that mainly Matthew eighteen that you're thinking yeah, of? Yeah, I would, I would, I would include in there just this whole notion of accountability. Okay, yeah, um, that that people in a in what they conceive to be their local church, or whether maybe they want to call it a house church, they mm-hmm. want to call it a gathering, an assembly, whatever they call it, that there has to be in place a, a high value on. We do not turn a, a blind eye to unrepentant sin. Right. We we believe that the souls of our brothers and sisters are too precious and valuable, and God's honor is too high, we cannot ignore that, and we have a mechanism in place for addressing it. Yeah, okay, great. And, and then, then and then sacraments last. Yeah, thing. and then, yeah. again, maybe outreach, some sort of mission or right. evangelism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, there are so many other things that, um, well, worship. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. maybe we're... But but how how people worship is different. What about you know you don't have to have instruments, but right. I believe you can. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you don't have to have sound amplification, but it's helpful. I mean, all sorts of the issues of style are irrelevant. Yeah. The question is, do you have? In fact, I probably would want to include that and make that a fifth essential is some form of concerted, intentional, uh, vertical orientation in mm-hmm. which people praise, honor, adore, and give thanks to God. Yes, absolutely. Now, here's another example. What about spiritual gifts? Right. Um, you know, there are cessationist churches, churches? Yes. Yeah. Are charismatic churches, churches? Yes. <laughs> now, both of them would think the other's doing it poorly, Yeah. <laughs> but uh, spiritual gifts is not an essential element. I think it's an important one, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, there are all sorts of peripheral issues like that and by saying peripheral I don't mean unimportant right I just don't I just don't want us to think of them as well if you don't do it the way we do it you're not really a church mm, okay great and so let's let's ask this question then uh, we kind of have to move on there's some things that we'll circle back to and pick up in later episodes as we talk more about ecclesiology especially I want to I want to go back and talk about governance but we'll do that uh, we'll commit a whole episode to that okay um, 
let's talk now about okay we, we we said okay it can't just be you and you and Jesus you know the the bible just just precludes that possibility uh and then it's also not just a social hangout there are things that are characteristic of an ecclesia of a church um so now let, let's let's ask let's ask this question let, let's maybe broaden our foundation a bit and add some buttresses and some strength to it let's ask this question of what can't you do without the local church, or, or I guess to put it positively, why do we need the local church? Mm-hmm. Um, like, wh- wh- what's it for, I guess? Like, what, why, do, why, why do I need it? Why, why do I depend on it in a way? Or why is it essential to my Christian life? Well, first of all, because all of us are very, very nearsighted. Yeah. And we, we can't see beyond ourselves and our own problems. Sometimes we can't even see our own problems. And we need the wisdom of others. Mm. Um, you know, the book of Proverbs talks extensively about um, those who think they are beyond the need for teaching and instruction and correction. So we need one another for that. So th- there has to be some dimension of community, some dimension in which I, I say to you and you say to me and we say to one another, I authorize you to speak into my life, to mm. challenge me. I need you to pray for me. Yeah. So that communal element is absolutely essential. Um, and then I think, for example, of uh, a passage like Ephesians 3.10, where Paul said that, um, that let me just kind of read this, it says, yeah. to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, now listen to this, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Mm. It's not through the country club or the civic group. Right. It's not through um, your golf foursome on a Sunday morning. It's through the church. That's the designated mechanism by which God makes known the incredible wisdom and grace that is revealed in Jesus. So, and I think specifically in Ephesians, contextually, that goes back to what he talked about in chapter two and also at the opening of chapter three. The, the merging of Jew and Gentile in one body, mm-hmm. the overcoming of racial and ethnic um, prejudices right. and hatred. And you say, how can, how can people do that? It's the grace of God. And the church is a visible witness to the way in which God has united all around the person of Jesus rather than around some particular identity. As mm. you know, we we're talking about identity politics these days. Well, I suppose there's identity religion too. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's one reason. Um, what about missions? Uh, what, what, what do we do when we think about the unreached people groups of the earth? Yeah. Uh, now, if I'm a, a multimillionaire, can I on my own find a way to channel my money to help support missionaries or to plant churches elsewhere? Yes, <laughs> but that's a very small, and I'm not, by the way, <laughs> but it's a very small minority. So I think we need the collective resources of people who are committed to seeing the gospel go to the ends of the earth and to yeah. reach the unreached. Um, so I think for all those reasons, um, and again, you mentioned at the very beginning of our time, the one anothering commands, what over yeah. 50 of these one anothering, uh, love one another, honor one another, uh, hold, you know, encourage one another. Well, one another implies more than one. There's a multiplicity of individuals. Mm. Um, there's just the uh, this the common sense realization that everybody has a different contribution to make. You, you know, you go to First Corinthians twelve and you start reading in about verse fourteen and mm-hmm. following, and how Paul talks about 
everybody is gifted differently by the Spirit. Um, he even talks about this uh, in Ephesians 4 uh, when he talks about, um, and I'm just looking at this, you know, God has gifted the church with various individuals to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Um, and he says, man, if I can find it. <laughs> yeah, here it is. Here it is. Uh, it's down in, in verse 15. Uh, Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way unto him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with mm. which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. Yeah. So here's Paul saying, um, I might be a really gifted person, I might be smart, I might be energetic, I might be successful at my work, but I in and of myself don't constitute a church and I don't have all of the necessary resources to grow up in maturity in Christ. Paul is saying that God has fitted the body together, the local body, the church, with different personalities, with different points of emphasis in life, different callings, different giftings, so that everybody can contribute and everybody can benefit and profit from what others bring to the table. That's really helpful. I think the image of the body um, is is a really strong argument and uh, for being involved in the local church. That that God that, that Jesus didn't come to save an individual; he came to save a bride of right. which of which is comprised many individuals. Yeah, and that's the glory you read in Revelation five, Revelation seven, that uh, the universal body of Christ, the universal church, um, magnifies the creativity and the diversity of God's gracious purposes by, by drawing people from every tongue and tribe and people and nation and so on. Um, and, and I think that's re- to be reflected in the local church as well, as much as is yeah. possible. And then I, I can't help also think about um, the—and and I, know, I know here I'm stretching the question, the original question now, into more of the universal church, but maybe that's a good place for us to land this plane, uh, taking it from why do we need the local church to why do we need the global church. Mm-hmm. Um, is I just I think through the biblical storyline and I see that God has always been calling out a people, mm-hmm. not just a person. Um, what 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 is the role of this people group that God has been calling out and now is this universal church? Why why do we need this group of people? Why can't it just be like, well, it's just whoever believes in me and we'll just take them and that's great. Like, what's this universal church and why is it important? Why do we need it? What's its role? Yeah, let's let's define our terms. Sure. Here. Um, Theologians have typically differentiated, even though the language I'm getting ready to use isn't found in the Bible, Mm. the concepts are, between the invisible church and the visible church. Right. The invisible church, or the universal body of Christ, comprised of all genuine believers in Jesus from all over the earth. Um, The local church, or the visible church, we say visible because... um, in a, in a particular geographical location, people who believe in Jesus gather together and commit themselves one to another to carry out the, the, the teachings of the New Testament. So it's visible. You can see it. You can see where they gather. Mm. You can watch them. You can name them. Um, so I, I, think, I think personally in Ephesians 3.10 when Paul said that the ch- it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is manifest. And in fact, he says 
it it's a declaration to the principalities and powers, mm. fallen demonic hosts of the triumph of the of the cross of Christ in redeeming a people. Wow. Uh, I think he's probably talking there primarily about the universal body of Christ, the totality of the church. Mm. But the majority of instances in the New Testament are with reference to local churches. Okay. Um, that doesn't mean that the universal body isn't in view. It is, especially when you read Ephesians 5. It talks about the bride of Christ. Mm. But um, so, for example, we are the bride of Christ together with the Nazarenes in Oklahoma City and the Presbyterians and uh, the non-denominationals and so on. Um, but I think the primary emphasis is the local church, and the local church is, is, is designed to be a visible, concrete expression of the grace and the forgiving mercy of God in and through Jesus Christ. Mm. Um, and it is seen, Jesus said, you'll know them by, by their love one for another. It's seen in their love for one another. It's seen in their love for those who are unlovely. It's manifested in, in the way that they conduct themselves in business and in commerce. Um, so the, the church, you know, the, the necessity of the church, I, I think, is seen in the ver- multiplicity of things that God has called us to be and to bear witness to. Mm. Um, and without that, uh, I mean, you look around society today, how many isolated, separatistic, individualistically oriented groups or peoples are there that are having much of an effect? Mm. And the answer is not much of any. Yeah. It'd be hard to identify any. It is in rather our collective love for one another, our, our ability to forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven us, um, our, our hopefully our ability uh, to realize that what unites us isn't the color of our skin, mm. um, but rather um, our, our oneness in Jesus. Yeah. These are the things that the church does that without it would, in my opinion, never be accomplished. I think that's really helpful. It's it's this visible public demonstration of what happens when the gospel comes upon a people. It, it's we we are people changed by the gospel, and so we demonstrate that by the God we proclaim, by the message we preach, by the way that we love, um, and a visible representation of that by a group of people has this manifesting the wisdom of God effect. Uh, I think that's really helpful. La- last question I want to ask you. Is is this? And if it, if if I'm painting a false dichotomy here, or I'm asking a question that can't be true, correct me. But I just want to I want to see what you would say to this. What would you say to a member of the invisible church who does not is not currently a member of the visible church? Yeah, so, great question. So a, 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 someone who would consider some a Christian sure. who's not part of a church. Yeah, I, well, we run into those people all the time. Of course. And I would simply say this: um, every New Testament epistle, uh, except those that are addressed to individuals, like mm-hmm. 1 Second Timothy and Titus and Philemon, is addressed to a local church or right. a group of local churches in a region. Um, every single exhortation, every command, every responsibility, every promise of God is directed toward corporate entities. Now, granted, corporate entities are comprised of individual believers, right? but um, Paul wrote a letter to the Galatians, the church in Galatia. In fact, in one passage, he talks about, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 61, he talks, 16, 1, he talks about the churches in Galatia. Mm. So all the local churches there. So I would start by saying to that individual, tell you what, 
I'll concede your point and your position if you can cite in the New Testament one single solitary example of what you propose to be. Hmm. Just give me a person in the New Testament or a description of the possibility of a person conceiving of themselves as a member of the universal body of Christ, but not embedded in Mm -hmm. a local church and the community life that is described in the New Testament. Just give me one example. All it needs is one. There ain't one. Yeah, it sure. just simply doesn't exist. I mean, you think even at the end of the first century when Jesus turns his attention to direct very personally um, his voice, his desires, his concerns to his people, where do those words go? Revelation 2 and 3 mm. to seven local churches, yeah. which not exclusively them, they're obviously representative of all local churches. Mm-hmm. But Jesus didn't speak a word to some individual um, who's, who's living in utter isolation in a cave or in a mountaintop, uh, cut off from other believers. Every directive, every promise, every truth is directed toward and applied to people in local churches. There's simply not an exception anywhere mm-hmm. in the New Testament. Now, if you push back and say, well, I don't care. Well, so then we've just realized we've got a bigger problem than the, sure. what, a, what a local church is or a university. We've got a problem about authority. Mm. And the question is, why don't you care? Shouldn't you care? Do you not believe that God has spoken to us in Scripture out of his infinite wisdom to give us everything we need to know how to live a godly life to his glory? And I think the answer to that is yes. If you don't believe that, then maybe we should stop talking about ecclesiology. Let's start talking about the authority of the Bible. Right. That's great. Uh, I think that's a great answer, uh, and I think I, I'll just reiterate that the reason why we would want to harp to them that um, this is what the Bible commands you. You can't find a single uh, stroke of, of the pen in the Word of God about this individual Christian who is a part of the invisible church that's not a part of the visible church um, is because we want— we want good for them. We want joy for them. We want we want uh, all these things that the church is supposed to be doing mm-hmm. and that they're supposed to be a part of. We want them to have accountability to manifest the glory of God along with their brothers and sisters. Yeah. We want them to be on mission. We want them to embody one another commands. We want them to experience the spiritual gifts and contribute to the body of Christ. We want all these things for them. And, uh, and I, I think, yeah. I think that's yeah a good and let reason. me just add one more thing here before we close. Yeah. I do not want this to sound as if we are insensitive to the horrific wounds and pain yeah. that a lot of people have been subjected to because of the abuses that have taken place in certain local churches. It's important. Folks, yeah. I've been in ministry for 44 years, and I i don't know if I've seen it all, but I, sometimes I wish that I had. I don't want to see anything new. Mm. Um, I know how badly some of you have been hurt. Yeah. I know how disillusioned you are. I know how angry. Um, I, I'm sure many of you probably have had family members that have been devastated by overbearing leadership or legalistic um, mentality or heresy or all the many scandals we talked about earlier, we're not in the least suggesting that that we don't take that into consideration. Mm-hmm. But the solution to that isn't to abandon what the New Testament clearly commands or what God has put in place for his people. The solution is to humble ourselves and to work in the power and the grace of God to do it well, to do it right, right. And, and to guard ourselves. That's why we need each other. 
man, if we didn't have each other, we would be far more prone to abuse and legalism and all of these other errors um, and sins than than if we we bind ourselves together. Say, look, let's submit ourselves to the to the authority of God's word and humble ourselves and try to do it right. So all this to say, um, you know, if some of you just kind of quick say, I, I, I just I, I can't buy into anything that you've said just because the pain is too intense and the injustice that I witnessed is just too massive. And I want to say, I don't doubt for a moment the intensity of the pain yeah. or the size of the injustice, but I'm just suggesting to you and asking you to pray seriously about whether or not the solution to that is walking away from a local church altogether, mm-hmm. and I don't believe that's the solution. Yeah, I, I, I've heard it said that the, the best uh, cure for an experience with an unhealthy local church is a healthy local church. That yep. um, and there are some, believe there, it or not, <laughs> there are a few out there. Yeah, no, there definitely are many, many. Um, yeah, and I and I just I don't want and I and I would ask I would also lean into that person you're talking to as well, Sam, and tell them that um, you know look at the bitterness in your heart towards the local church. Are are you angry and callous towards her? Um, are you upset and do you you know harbor animosity? Um, that's not a healthy way to live. Uh, we want you to be free from that and to be free from that through reconciling yourself to the body of Christ in a healthy local church. I think that's a better way to live than living in this um, kind of post-traumatic stress of yeah. uh, of all this bad experience. So yeah, I think that's a good word and um, we need the local church. I think yep. this is this is great. So I'm, I'm looking forward to talking more about the, the local church. I think next time we have you on, we'll, we'll ask the big old question of um, what is a gospel-centered church, which will be an interesting discussion. I look forward to it. Yeah, same. So thank you, as always, Sam. This has always been really helpful and invigorating. So um, I'm looking forward to our next chat. All right. Thank you for listening to the Bridgeway Podcast, where you will find a new conversation every Thursday. For more information about Bridgeway Church, we invite you to visit bridgewaychurch.com, or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at bridgewayokc, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash bridgewaychurchokc. If you have any questions that you would like us to address on the podcast, feel free to email us at podcast at bridgewaychurch.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving us a review on the podcast app as it helps other people like you find our program. So on behalf of all the pastors and staff here at Bridgeway Church, I'm David Bowden saying thanks for listening and we will see you next week.